Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hometown History. I'm Jamie. I'm Dami. Uh, tonight's episode, so this is season two, episode two, and tonight is all about stitching secret messages, fabrics, and fiber arts in York County's homes and fabrics. And we are right down the road from where we live. Yeah. Ten minutes down the road from little Newbury Town. Yep. Um, so we are at the Redstone Glen Fiber Arts um, uh, Center, and you can see there in the map, we can we are very close, northern York County. We encourage you to come down and visit. Very hands-on, very friendly, and special shout-out to Sarah for hosting us tonight. So Dami and I will be presenting for about 30 minutes, and then we'll take about a 15-minute break, and then we'll be back on with Facebook Live to interview Sarah about the fiber arts and what the current trends are for today. Right. Taking it from history into the future. <laughs> Okay, so tonight we're talking about fiber arts, and our whole goal is that you walk away understanding a little bit more about women's history, but then also the unsung contributions that women have made to our mm -hmm. community. We hear of a lot of history books coming out of wars or like the Civil War, but you don't right. really hear about women, even though they play just as much of a role as men. And so we're going to highlight some York County amazing women and some of the things that they did. Our common thread tonight will be this woman named Irene Miller-Lease. Right. And so we're going to talk about her life and then go in and out, zooming in between things that happened with her throughout her life in York County, but then also some main big ideas, like overarching themes across York County history. Right. So we're going to take it back to 1901, and that's when Irene Miller-Lease was born in Katoris Township. So she had a big farm family, and that was six brothers and two sisters. And now we're going to show you a picture of Irene. And she loved needlework so much, and she would bring her projects along with her as she completed her chores. So you have to picture this young woman working on the farm, but also taking time um, to do her hobby, something that mm -hmm. she really loved, which was the fiber arts. Um, and she was often tending to the cows, but she'd be seen crocheting on a split rail fence. <laughs> um, and she'd go into the calf barn with her mom. And um, she was always jumping around, dropping her crochet out in the field. <laughs> I, I just picture her with like yarn behind her, yeah. like, leaving a little trail um, through the farm fields in Cadoris Township. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, here was a woman who she definitely had an agricultural background and yeah. she had to do certain things on the farm, um, but she tried to carve out a little bit of time for herself Yeah, and uh, do some needlework, do some crocheting, yep. and it took her into quilting. Yeah. I love that story of um, the cow um, running away from her and she had to jump down and like chase, chase after <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then as she chased it, her crocheting needle fell into the grass and she said that she hunted and hunted and she never could find her crocheting needle ever again. So it's out there somewhere. She's a metal detector. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, metal detector to go and find it. So this makes us think of, at the time, more of the traditional um, domestic spheres of men and women. Right. So before the Industrial Revolution, when people left the home to go out into the factories, in urbanization, the growth of cities, um, people lived on the homestead and they worked together. Right. I think we like to think uh, about society just constantly progressing, that it used to be in this time where women had their jobs, which when you think stereotypically were usually in the home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids, mm -hmm. making the clothes cleaning the clothes but really that phenomenon happened after the industrial revolution and then got even worse after world war ii when you think about the cult of domesticity and yes. women after rose the river era was over going back into the home and expecting to be happy housewives right. but really before the industrial revolution on the homestead men and women worked together um, communally a lot more than what we realize in fact we wanted to show you this picture here 
This is a uh, painting from Lewis Miller. So he was a York County artist. And you see this woman there tearing into a pig, butchering it herself. She's got her apron on and her bonnet. Right. <laughs> um, so what we're highlighting here are, are some of the things that um, women did. And we're not saying that it's anything um, super special. It was just kind of expected. It was just right, yeah. Practice. I mean, even my mom growing up in Newberry Township in the 60s, um, she grew up going to her grandparents' farm during the day while her mom worked. And they were expected to pitch in and but butcher chickens and yeah you know yeah. help with everything whether it was the girl cousins or the boy cousins right they so. just all pitched in yeah yeah um and another thing too is that men also contributed to the textile industry yeah they did we think of women in the textile industry but it was honestly a male driven um industry they contributed part the, of it. Yeah, yeah so they were building the quilting frames and cutting up the scrap metal for the mm -hmm. templates. Um, so men were very much involved, mm -hmm. even though we think of it traditionally as a woman's craft or a woman's hobby. It was really a career for yeah. a lot of men, especially in York County. Yeah. Um, and then how do we, how do I say this? This is blue, blue and Luther. Beulah. Beulah? Yeah. Okay. Beulah <laughs> and Luther uh, Markle. During the Great Depression, um, they had to sell their family farm. And they moved from rural, rural Windsor Township to uh, Winterstown in 1934. And we're going to show a picture of them, I believe. Oh, we have their quilt here for you. Yep. So they had three sons. Uh, Bud, Quinton, and J.R. were enlisted to cut squares for the quilts. So that goes to show it wasn't just um, the head of the household doing all of this work. Mm -hmm. they, the entire family was a part of it, so even the kids. And then they moved again to Red Lion. Um, and they would scour the market for feed bags and factory scraps. So here, again, it's not just clothing scraps that they were using. They were using all kinds of different textiles to mix into this quilting. And the boys made their own quilts, often having to rip out stitches if their mother disapproved. So oh, yeah. uh, she was very much a taskmaster of making sure that the quilt was um, <laughs> done correctly. And that came in handy during their World War II military service because you had to sew your own insignias uh, onto your uniforms and your patches. So you wanted to make sure that you looked good and had good stitches on there. There you go, ladies. Look for men who can quilt. Yeah. Dying yeah. arts. I mean, even during the Civil War, um, everyone had what they called a housewife in their haversack. So that was a little piece of fabric with like a pocket sewn into it. And you had your needle and your thread hmm. and like a little patch if you had to darn your socks. And it was called a housewife? It was called a housewife. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, so men, you know, men and some of my best friends that are reenactors are males yeah. and they're the best sewers that I know. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> they could sew me under the table. I mean, they're great at it. They're making their own uniforms and stuff. Yeah. So And their own quilts for Civil War reenacting when you're going out. You want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you just got deployed somewhere, you just got sent in the army and you only had one army issued wool blanket, mm -hmm. maybe you want to take your homemade quilt from home. Oh, yeah. You know you what have I mean? Something. Yeah. And it reminds you of home. And it does. Yeah. And it could be you. it could be old shirts. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be any fabric that you had laying around well, the house. I'm glad you said that about old shorts. So our shirts with these um, quilts, it wasn't like when you so when you think of like York County during the Great Depression, mm -hmm. you couldn't just go to the fabric store and purchase fabric for you to to use. Right. We were short on resources. And also people were trying to use scraps for these quilts. Right. Um, so I found this really cool picture with a feedback quilt and that's beautiful you wouldn't know that that's made of feedback right they went and took feed bags and were super resourceful and took something that would have been thrown out and now they repurposed it 
um, what are they saying now? Upcycled. Upcycled. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so we appreciate how resourceful they were. They even have another picture here of how they would take metal scraps and they would cut it. And this is what they would have used for their template. This okay. is another example, too, where men and women would have worked together. It wasn't just an expectation for women to make right. these scraps. Men also made Yeah, them and the well. men were using um, their tools probably to cut the metal because they were stronger. Yep. So we wanted to give um, to, as uh, a little out of order, but a special <laughs> shout out for being super resourceful. A friend of mine, Aaron Anthony on Facebook, him and his wife have this company called Honeywood Restorations. That's beautiful. Right? He sent that to me and they work really hard to take old furniture that people would have thrown out and they sand it down, restain it, make it so it looks pretty, something for us to use inside our house instead of just throwing it out. And that's such a trend these days. Taking something that's old and making it new again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of my friends, when they're buying their houses and they're decorating, they want to go to like a thrift store. They want to go yeah, antiquing and yep. find things. They don't want just something brand new from the factory. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no like heart and soul in that. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, and one of the places, another place in addition to where we are now tonight is down in Windsor. I'm sorry, um, Winterstown. Winterstown. Yeah. They have the teaching museum for the fiber arts and textiles. Yeah. Yes. I, I spoke to her on the telephone, actually. Um, so that's great. So they're taking children and they're teaching them um, fiber arts. So they're teaching them skills that they necessarily wouldn't learn at home. Um, so you think of everything from weaving to quilting to crocheting and knitting. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, you want to talk about being resourceful. They have um, these pictures that we're showing you. You can make things out of hair, um, you know, so you can like knit and weave beautiful jewelry out of hair. And I mean, looking at that, I wouldn't know that that's so right? hair. Right? The human body uses fiber hair, hair jewelry <laughs> and um, hair keepsakes were very popular at one point in history. Mm -hmm. So right now it's kind of odd, but... Um, you know, I don't know, maybe a hundred years ago, I'd be really flattered if you gave me <laughs> like <laughs> creepy, like a hair doll. Here's something I made for you. Here's I mean, your hair in a, in a crochet. It, it's definitely, it's definitely different when you think about it by today's standards, yeah, yeah. but, um, through a historical lens, um, repurposing hair or repurposing it, scraps of things uh, they beautiful. make jewelry out of bones. If you yeah. find bones out on the farm or out hiking or something, you know, they'd take it and they'd make jewelry or I don't know, little yeah. keepsakes. I know like my dad in his workshop, he had, um, some animal bones, like when they'd go hunting, you know, mm. you'd keep like the skull of a, um, a deer or something. Yeah. And then some of the smaller bones and he made wind chimes out yeah. of them. So yeah. it's kind of like, I, I had a, a, a student, um, so I'm um, a mentor where I work, and so I bring students over to the house sometimes, and we like cook and watch movies, and I have one student, um, I'll call him Joe, and uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe. Joe is very urban, he, he lives in an urban setting, and I have a, a deer that I killed on the wall, like a deer mm -hmm. mount, because I oh, like okay. to hunt, yeah. and he came in and he said, uh, Dr. Kinsley, is that a dead animal on your wall, <laughs> and it's something that I don't even think of, and he said, what if I took it off, could you see inside of it? Oh, like, well, like he didn't realize it was taxidermy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Kid. Yep. Um, so bouncing this back to Irene. So Irene started quilting, and one of the first quilts that she made was this one. That's she made beautiful. this, yeah, in 1930. Okay. And these are hundreds of different hexagons that are three fourths of an inch. And around the edge there, you can see how she um, turned in the quilt, so it wasn't mm -hmm. just a straight line. And she said this was so tedious that she vowed to never do it again. I don't blame her. I wouldn't have the patience for this project. <laughs> it took so much time. I don't blame her. So a little bit more about the history of quilting. So before the um, 1820s, 
people who lived in York County still made quilts. Mm-hmm. Um, however, getting access to fabrics was right. very difficult and trying. But luckily, York County, we made more quilts than more um, inland counties. And that's because we were close to Philadelphia or to Baltimore. Okay. So it was trading. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because the river, it blocked um, our trade routes over to more of like the Philadelphia Eastern communities. Mm-hmm. And instead, we traded south. Okay. So if you look, so if, if you were to ask someone, um, why is York County feel so southern? Yes. Well, you could actually look at the quilts and see that you see that southern heritage, that Baltimore kind of essence that right. came up with it. And that's just an example of looking at the textile industry to give us a broader understanding of our community at large. I love that, though, because you you would never know. And it's it's a historical um, timeline and it's a historical map. Right. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yep. Um, so another thing, though, too, is um, these quilts. I want to show you a quilt, one of the oldest ones. So this is from um, 1790. And this quilt shows the prosperity and really the relative affluence of the York Countyans who were able to make this because we were talking about women on the homestead and they were expected to contribute and butcher and also raise the kids and also teach the kids. But someone had time to make this, which again shows that they could have hired labor, outsourced a lot of it, that a woman had the free time, really the flexibility right. to be able to so make this. So the more this. elaborate the quilt and um, the better quality um, thread and fabric that they used showed prosperity. Yep. Yep. So then in the 1830s more, that is when we're going to see wider range, more affordable fabrics. It's going to explode after the civil war and then go even more after world war one. World war one. Yeah. And world war one was really devastating to the York community. Mm -hmm. So about 600 York Countyans died and hundreds more were injured, um, during the conflict of world war (laughs) one. And one such man was Harry Laux, and Laura Laux is brother, actually. And we're going to talk about Laura Laux. Yeah. Um, so he came from home from the war, and he was wounded. So Lar commemorated his return with a quilt, and we're showing you that quilt right now. Um, there's a doughboy in the center, and it's cut from his woolen uniform. So I think that's amazing that she repurposed his uniform. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a really important keepsake because a lot of people who have their ancestors World War One or World War Two uniforms, mm-hmm. they've like either rotted or mm-hmm. um, moths Ma- have yeah, got to them. So yeah, sort. so that's a really amazing thing that she was able to preserve it that way. Um, Harry lived out his days in Emmicksville, and she in New Bridgeville with her mother. So, I mean, this quilt, the fact that it survived this long, and it really shows, you know, a bond between a brother and a sister. Yeah. Think, you know, thankfully, although he was wounded, he did get yeah. to come home. Right. And she was able to give him something. To, like, show know. her love. Yeah, like, yeah. I love you. I'm so happy you're home. And yeah. It, it was a horrible time, but, you know. And that's what we're talking about here tonight. That is one of our main takeaways is that we want you to realize that women contributed significantly to the York County history. Yes. And in this way, it has to do with her um, supporting and making something. But also, every time someone looks at that quilt, they're remembering her, Laura, but then also her brother and his contribution. But then she's the one who's right. passing down that legacy. And it's a story. It's, it's a talking piece because someone's going to look at that and say, why is there a doughboy on this quilt? Right. Mm-hmm. And then you find out that that doughboy is dressed in his uniform. Right. Pieces of his yes. uniform. I, that's amazing. And, and the story was told by a woman. Yes. This sto- yep. Through st- stitching this message. That and we're still st- talking yeah, about it today. The story continued. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are what are we doing for our families? I'm not stitching quilts. I probably should. I knit hats for the homeless. <laughs> that's what? what I, yeah, 
that's one of my big things. Um, a few years ago, I was watching this Facebook video and it made me cry. There was this older man. He was actually in hospice care. Wow. And, you know, you're bed bound. You had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And he saw that you could knit hats for the homeless. Mm -hmm. So he got a knitting loom, like a little circle knitting loom. Mm -hmm. And all day long in hospice, he would knit. He, he could did. make like three hats a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like sitting at my computer crying. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I feel so useless. So I started doing it. Did you really? Yeah. So I was um, on my lunch breaks at work. I would go to the park beside the federal building in Harrisburg and I would Aww. knit little hats. Oh, that's but then so you sweet. Can, you can donate the hats to local libraries Aww. and they, they give them to homeless shelters. I love that so, you do yeah. that. So I can't, I can only make squares if I knit with needles. Yeah. But on a loom, I can make oh, a Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> but maybe I should, and I did knit my neighbor a hat. It was a little wonky. But yeah. <laughs> I, I learned how to knit too. Um, I, I wanted to be as self-sufficient as possible. Right. Because that's another thing that these women were allowing their families to do is live on their own um, right. and be able to take, again, things that would have been discarded, old fabrics, and then re remaking them into this beautiful piece, piece of art, really, mm -hmm. uh, that was usable as well as utilitarian. Um, but I went and I decided to get a sheep and I was going to learn how to knit. And I did find a picture of my the sheep when I brought it home. <laughs> it was just so you. That's in the back of a forester. That's my sheep. <laughs> his name was Zeke the Sheep. And, and I was going to shear him. And I was going to take his wool. And I was going to make a uh, uh, clothing out of it. And then I found out later that he was a hair sheep. And so they just shed. But where is so, he now? I, well, yeah. Um, oh no, no, no. Wait, family. He was donated. Family repurposed. Yeah, he lives on a farm. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me Newbury Town. Him. Sheep in, in the middle of Newbury Town. Don't know if that was going to I thought you ate him. Well, actually, I got him from a farm. His name, before I named him Zeke, was Dinner. No. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the sheep has nine yeah. lines. <laughs> so going back to Irene. Um, so Irene, when she quilted, she quilted a lot in the wintertime. Yeah. Like, um, so in the wintertime, we like to picture her in her dining room. That is where her frame was set up mm -hmm. um, with her quilt on her lap. And that, that is where she would stitch uh, with her family and especially her sister-in-law that was close to her. But we also, though, want to talk about how for a lot of women, stitching wasn't always very happy. No. There is some parts of the tech textile industry that is a little bit more negative. So here is a picture that was taken from the Winterstown Museum that we're talking about. This particular picture, though, came from the Shrewsbury Sewing Factory that was established in the 1900s. Um, and if you look at this image there, if you just take a second to look at their facial expressions, um, part of the reasons why they weren't jumping for joy was, number one, it took a while to take a picture. So, of course, they had to remain seated and still for a while. But also, working in a um, sewing factory was very repetitive. Right. These women would often work for 12 hours a day, six days a week, in very unsafe environments. So you can see there the um, heap of clothing. I mean, that has OSHA written all over it with fire hazards. They would get very few breaks. Um, their pay would usually be very, very low, lower than today's standards of minimum wage. We even called them starvation wages. That's how low they were. There was a sewing factory in Newberry Township. So a lot of people mm -hmm. on the Preserving the History of Newberry Town page, um, anytime I started posting about the textile industry to get ready for this episode, commented about mom or grandma working really? in a sewing factory. Yeah. Were, they were they generally positive? or? Um, we didn't get too deep. In, they just said they yeah, worked it. They yeah. worked in one. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you have a relative that worked in a sewing factory, please leave a comment um, if they talked about it and you know what their um, their experience was mm -hmm. like. We want to hear about it. Yeah. Now, luckily today we do have a lot of government agencies and laws and unions, just places, oversight. Things, yeah, things put into place to make sure that that these types of things couldn't <clears throat> um, happen. But there also though were some positives to working in these environments. 
Well, yeah, you have to think about it. Anytime that there is an advancement in technology, we hope that it's for a positive yeah. reason. Yeah. So um, the advancements in sewing machines did leave uh, women more time. Mm -hmm. So you're not sitting there hand stitching things for hours on end. Something that might've taken a few hours could take, you know, like 30 minutes yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and as far as these women working in factories, um, the more that you could get done on your industrial sewing machine, mm -hmm. the more money you could make. Yes. Um, so wages went up. So on well, here we have, oh, I'm sorry. Well, that, well, that was the, again, uh, the point that we want to make is that for a lot of women, the textile industry was empowering, that they could right. go out and they could get a job and they could make money. Um, yeah, it got them out of the home. And a lot of the women before this, it was um, home sewing. They were yeah. sewing for their family. Mm -hmm. um, as a hobby, they weren't making money off right. of what they were And now selling. they could. So they yeah. could leave the home and, and be self-sufficient. Again, low, so hopefully they'd probably board with another woman or two, but right. generally they could support themselves. Yeah, so um, girls and women in York, uh, they reported a payment of $2.90 for two weeks' work, an average of $0.03 cents an hour. So today that would have been about, about $100, $100, give or yeah. take, which is still <clears throat> isn't amazing. I know. But yeah. I guess if you're going from the mindset of, if you're a housewife that never has the opportunity to make any money, yep, to the empowerment of having your own job, having your own career, to do something now. Yeah. Yep. We also wanted to highlight another um, textile factory here. So this was in the current day Smallwood School, um, and this is from the 1930s as well. We wanted to show this picture again to not only show their craftsmanship, craftswomanship, right? And in the back, um, their ability to make clothing and then sell it, but then also for their family as well and be able to use these machines. You sew. Do you know not you make a sewing well. machine? I tried to use. I have one. But... Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. I tried to use a sewing machine. It, they were so jacked up. I have a lot of respect for women. <laughs> it's who, hard. If it's something yeah. that doesn't come naturally to you, it is not an easy craft. Yep. So one woman that we want to highlight, too, is um, Victoria Kageni. So she is in downtown York, and she has her own business called Gusa. And it is about Gusa by Victoria in York, to be specific. And she is trying to teach younger people how to get into sewing. Um, and she said this great quote to me. We were messaging. She said, my message or my mission is centered on educating my community about the importance of embracing our differences, no matter where we come from. And so I fuse Western silhouettes with African print fabric. There on the right, that is a skirt that she made. Wow. It was inspired by her grandmother. Her grandmother had um, round tobacco package, pa uh, pouches that she always had in her hands. Oh, okay. So Victoria, when she was thinking about making skirts, those images, uh, the um, discs at the bottom okay. remind her of her grandmother. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't and that there's so cool? that thread of resourcefulness yeah. and reusing yep. things. Yep. And then also teaching, too, and empowering the next generation. Okay. So thinking about Victoria and the social aspect of quilting. Right. So that what community was mm -hmm. a very common thread. So Irene and her sister-in-law, Margie, they'd get together on weekends. So it would be a Saturday night and the female neighbors would come over. The sister-in-law would come yeah. over and they'd quilt together. They would sew together. So Marjorie. there's that Marjorie. I apologize, Marjorie. So, you know, there's that social aspect of it. So, so sewing circles. Yeah. I know the Redland Community Library um, in Newburytown, they have a quilting club. So we have a quilting frame in the community room. And right now there's two quilters that regularly come and work well, on a quilt. that's cool. And once a year, um, they auction off the quilt once mm -hmm. it's finished. And it brings in money for the library through a raffle yep. system. And you can go on the website uh, or 
they have a Facebook page as well, the Redland Community Library. Yeah. And you can look. Someone just won the quilt, I think it was last month. Oh, that's they so won cool. The quilt. But it's beautiful. And it's these women who, you know, they're retired. They volunteer for the library. Yep. Um, and they come in and they just sit for a few hours. Brings it back to the quilts mean something. So the quilt with the doughboy, obviously that was something to um, show her brother love mm-hmm. and say that she was glad that he made it back from World War One. And then, yeah. like you said, they could mourn someone, say, you know, someone really close to you passed away. You could take your dad's old shirts yeah. and make them into a quilt. Yeah. Or I know a lot of times um, they have um, projects at hospitals. If a newborn baby passes away, mm-hmm. you um, can donate wedding dresses mm-hmm. or something. And mm-hmm. they make these little dresses for the babies wow. to be buried in. You and know, it to shows be able, communal support. Yeah. Huh? You know, mm-hmm. you're taking something old and making it new yeah. again. And you're taking something that meant something to you but now it means and giving something. back to yeah, the community exactly and also talking about the confidence that comes with this as well right um, lots of confidence yeah so we wanted to um also show you some pictures jumping down to um so one of the main texts that we use is this right here so this was quilts it says the fabric of friendship and it was published by the history center and it was put together by uh, a lot of locals um, in it, they had. This is where we get the majority of um, Domini's information. Right, for York tonight. County quilting. Yep. Um, there were some pictures of women in here that I would be remiss if I did not show you because these women look like they have attitude. I would love to sit in a sewing circle with this woman, hand on the hip, baby <laughs> on the other. Like, all right, ladies, let me tell you I a know. thing or two. <laughs> she was probably in charge of the entire sewing circle. And then I, I love this picture so much. Oh, yeah, she's a wily one. <laughs> she's either the most, like, innocent, wholesome being, or that that woman looks ornery. <laughs> no, nah, she looks like an ornery grandma. I would love to quilt with her. No, so would I. Yeah, and it, it's, you know, it's a great way for these women. Maybe they're widowed, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe their husband's at work and they're home all alone. It's a really great way for them to get out socially and go to a friend's house, go to a neighbor's house, yep. and have that community that they wouldn't have at their own home. Yep. So moving along here, uh, Dami and I are running out of time. Um, So we are going to jump down to, all right, talking about, um, do you want to do morning quilts? Sure. Down to morning quilts? Yeah. Um, So another woman, so Irene, like, uh, well, Dami already talked about it. She talked about how quilts are made for birthing and marriages, but then also morning. So we just wanted to show you this one picture of a morning quilt. So this is made by a local. Her name was Rebecca Gerritsen Wickersham from Newbury Town. And after her husband passed away, she made that. But there were also um, a total of, um, oh, I forget exactly, 57 people who signed that quilt. That's amazing. Right. Every single one was listed in the um, 1850 Northern New York County census records. Okay. Uh, and again, it just shows the community that was in our area. Yeah, and the Wickershams were actually early Quaker settlers. Yeah. So that's amazing. So stay tuned. Um, Coming later on, um, probably airing tomorrow or later this week, we are going to feature another quilt from the area known as the Keen Hill Quilt. Here is a picture of it. An article is also Witnessing York if you are chomping at the bit and you want to read about it right away. But we are going to feature it more in a quick five-minute video so we can go more in-depth and talk about that since we are running out of time. So we're going to get going here, and in about 15 minutes, we're going to come back on and talk with Sarah, and we're going to highlight, you see in the pictures here, some of the really colorful elements of the textile industry and sewing and what it looks like today. So we covered the history, and then we're going to zoom forward to current day. 
So our next episode will be uh, our next hometown history. Sometime in March. Yeah, sometime in March, probably near the end. We're going to be on site again, um, probably down more in the Wrightsville area. We're getting around all of of York County. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're hoping that tonight you walk away knowing a little bit more about how women contributed to York County history um, through um, fabrics and quilts and just supporting each other and, yeah, loving each other. Yeah, so thank you guys for watching. We really appreciate your support. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Watch us on YouTube. Buy our merchandise. <laughs>